Everyone, thanks for jumping on to the C3 Global podcast this week. We want to welcome you. We're so thankful that you're with us. I'm Phil Pringle, your host on this week's episode, and uh, we are so excited because we're talking to Sean White, Pastor Sean White from C3 Hobart. Great to have you with us, Sean. Great to be here. It's so good to be uh, joining you on these on these global podcasts. Yeah, well, they're being uh, taken up in a pretty enthusiastic manner right around the world because I think they really are helping people. And the format of, of conversation, rather than just preaching, although we do include that at times, I think has a lot of appeal to people as they're driving to work in their car, at uh, at the gym, doing all kinds of things. Yeah, I think I think that's something in church in general that that we've found is engaging with people, not always preaching to them. I mean, there's the times to preach to them, but it's it's the same as our kids, right? I mean, I've got a, a 19 and a 21 year old daughter, and if I just preach to them all the time now, they're not going to listen to me. But it's engaging with yes. them, and and it just becomes so much more fluid in our conversations. Exactly, and uh, let me uh, just tell our listeners here a little bit about you, and you can fill in the gaps. Uh, I've known you as a pastor, but before you were that, you were like uh, Mr. Adventure. You were the critical care uh, person who was, uh, for five years, I understand, uh, in the Middle East, and that means that you were riding in a helicopter to trouble spots where there were injured people and involved in a lot of crisis management, but uh, a lot of gory and difficult moments, I would imagine, in uh, being a sort of the ambulance in the air. Yeah, absolutely. I, I started my career in, in Sydney, actually. I got my first posting in Western Sydney. And uh, so that was, a, that was a good learning tool. And yeah, my career took me to Qatar in the Middle East, where I spent five years there. It's a, uh, it's a Muslim country. Uh, 99.7% are Sunni Muslims. And uh, we, had, we had a wonderful time. I've got a, a wife and two girls and our, 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 you know, the females in my family were treated really well. And uh, yeah, so I learned um, as a critical care paramedic dealing with people in crisis management. Uh, as a paramedic, Pastor Phil, you don't sort of get called to get cats out of trees or help old ladies across the road. You're, every job you go to is, is crisis management and you're helping a person at the worst time in their life. You know, whether that be right. a toe or, or obviously something a lot more tragic. Incredible. So good preparation for the ministry, right? For <laughs> Well, yeah, I'd like to say that we don't deal with crisis management, but, hey, that, we do. We, we're dealing with We do. You just want to make sure that that's not all you're dealing with. And it's certainly, in your case, certainly not that. Now, the reason that um, I wanted to have this conversation with you is because of a discussion we had down in your church. I think I was speaking there and uh, at some event, and you mentioned to me that you'd had something like 120 uh, people come to Christ over the year. And in some of our churches, that is, is not a huge number. For other churches, it's quite a large number. Uh, but then what you said next is what really uh, left me speechless, to tell you the truth. Because you said we've, and this is one year later, you'd still had 91 of those people, I think that's the number, uh, still engaged in church life. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, that's that's pretty close. So in, in 2019, uh, we had 123 first-time salvations. So, you know, people off the street, first-time salvations. 
And uh, yeah, uh, 12 months later, we sort of do some data points around that. And we had, I think it was 88 or, or close to that number, might have been 90, who were actively engaged in our church. Um, and many, many of them were serving in teams and you know tithing in the church. So yeah, it was something that we were worked really hard on. Well, those, those certainly are markers for uh, a disciple. If people are both tithing and serving in the house of God, obviously, therefore, regularly attending and being part of the church. So uh, these steps in discipleship in a local church, tell us some of the things that you do in terms of discipling a brand new Christian. Yeah, sure. I think it comes back to Pastor Phil. My wife and I have been um, uh, senior pastors now for just on four years, and it was a you know it was a challenging start. It wasn't something that I was jumping into. I didn't grow up wanting to be a pastor or anything like this. I mean, I as I shared, <laughs> I had a great career, um, but you know we we got into the ministry, and something that both of us got very early on was just this phrase that kept coming to us night after night after night is is walk the journey with people no matter where they're at. And we're kind of like, what does this mean? Um, but it just played out in the way we do our discipleship is, is the ability to meet people exactly where they're at. Because the reality is you can have, let's say there's four or five people come forward on an altar call. Every one of them has come forward because God has spoken to them in a different reason. Might be the same message, but one of them might be a, a divorcee. One of them might be just got a new promotion as CEO. And so you've got to meet them where they're at and, and deal with each person and a lot of that, Pastor Phil, comes from, from my training uh, as an ambulance officer. If you go to a mass casualty incident, uh, you know, sadly I went to, to a number. I remember one in particular where there was 16 uh, young men who were on a, 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 a end-of-season football trip and they were involved in a minibus accident. And, uh, you know, it was a, it was a, there was some there. Unfortunately, some had passed away. But out of those 16, every single one of them was had different levels of injury or emotional stress or, or challenges involved with what was horrific crash. So if I just sort of went and said, right, I'm going to treat all of these the same, then I'm not dealing with them in the right and proper way. Uh, as where, you know, you go, okay, let's deal with patient number one. What do they need? Where do we do? How do we do this? And some of them, Pastor Phil, jump in and serve the next week. You know, some of them are baptized right. two weeks later, but some of them take a little bit longer. And that's that's one of the keys that we used with it. I think that's a really great key. I'd like to even think through the two different phases there that you mentioned. Uh, firstly, these people are coming to Christ because you are meeting a felt need in their lives. And I, I believe that our greatest goal in the early stage of uh, meeting with people is help them take those baby steps, if you like, through they check you out on your website, they... Uh, meet a few of your believers. They maybe even uh, get involved in a connect group or go out for dinner or lunch, and eventually they're able to bring them to church in a big room full of strangers. And they make that they might make the journey the first week or the second week, or may, might take a couple months before they actually go to the front or put their hand up in a service and pray a prayer that. They receive Jesus. And that is the first goal I think we should have and uh, to bring a person to Christ. And then Jesus, once he is in their world, can start to convict them and te teach them and talk to them about a variety of things. And I think then we start 
walking the journey with them, helping them navigate whatever God is doing in their life, trying to cleanse them from, trying to set them free from, trying to heal them. Uh, and I, I, I understand that each, like you say, each one is different. Do you think that as, as the pastor of the church, is, has this been like, the, the, are you the only one who is actually engaged in this? Or do you have a team that are walking that journey through with people? Yeah, no, no, it's got, to, it's got to be a team. It has to be a team because I'm going to bring, um, to, to be honest, Morella, my wife, is a far better pastor than I am. Uh, you know, she can engage with people in different ways. Now, her testimony itself, you know, she came from an incredibly dysfunctional family where she's had, you know, seen separation in the family and grief and tragedy. She can deal with people on a different level than I can, where I was raised as a good Baptist boy and went to church every morning. And, you know, so we're all going to have our different life experiences. And so a team, a team has to play this. I mean, that's, it's a scriptural thing. Sure, Jesus led them, but the 12 different disciples I'm, all had different characteristics and cultures and, and I'm sure met people where they were at. I think one of the things is, Pastor Phil, is that each person that comes on that altar or each person that makes that life-changing decision, uh, each person you meet is a product of their life experience. And, you know, we had an incredible example. It was literally 12 months ago, um, you know, about 12 months ago, it was around Christmas last year, where on the altar we had a, a young man who had been released from prison two weeks ago and we had a CEO of a multi-million dollar company. They were the two only people who came forward and it was just this beautiful thing of ministering to both of them with completely different backgrounds. And we used two different people in our team to do it. Right, right. And that's, that's what disciple making is, not doing it ourselves. But like uh, Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 verse 2, he says, look, the things you've heard from me amongst some witnesses, commit those to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So that's a four-generational transmission of teaching and power. Paul to Timothy, Timothy to faithful men, faithful men to others. And, and I think that if we can create that culture in our church that activates and mobilizes every believer to become a disciple maker at whatever level, whether it's a very light level of just introducing them to the basics of prayer and reading the Bible and attending church to deeper issues of ministry. Uh, I think that if we can create those cultures in our church, we will grow our churches from the grassroots level up rather than just seeking to gather a crowd that swells our numbers, we actually build the church. Oh, so true. And, and I think, and then it's the journey that Pastor Phil, and, and so right. we, um, interestingly, three weeks before lockdown this year, uh, no one knew it was coming, and, and we just had a vision to give every single person in our church a Bible. And uh, so we used right. the Trasher Bibles and uh, we, you know, we mm. ended up giving out 600-odd Bibles over a weekend. It was a beautiful story. But mm. what came out of that was we, we heard these amazing testimonies from people who were sitting in our church every day, Pastor Phil. They had been there for mm. 10 years and they said it was the first time they'd picked up their Bible in, in 10 years, as where others were like, well, no, I read it three times a day. You know, <laughs> every person is going to be on a different part on their faith journey, aren't they? And exactly, you know, and sometimes their faith journey changes three times in one day, 
And so, you know, I think it's about, you know, it's not our job to condemn and to judge them, but to be able to walk alongside them and say, okay, hey, what is it? How do we get you becoming regular in reading the scriptures or praying or maybe it's an alpha group you need or, or having these sort of supports and structures around them with it? Yeah. Well, I do think, you know, recently we had uh, Richard Forsyth and Sherilyn Bucknell on here and uh, who are two of our pastors on our team uh, here in Sydney. But Richard Forsyth is one of the greatest disciples, making disciple people I know. And uh, he just, his angle of ministering to people or visitation is just a, a little tweak of a difference, but it actually has a big end result. So it, when he is finding there's somebody in trouble, instead of saying to them, let me pray for you uh, and let me, um, you know, minister to you, he says, well, why don't you pray for your situation right now? Right. And then uh, – he would say, like, what do you feel God is speaking to you out of the Scriptures at present? Rather than say, look, I've got a Scripture for you, which is like a pastoring influence and it's a ministering to people, but we empower people when we actually ask them questions. And, and often you'll find Jesus answering questions with another question because He is trying to get people to surface within themselves what they already know and to remind themselves of truths that they've already learned. And I think that if we can do that to activate other people rather than just treating them like drones and we're going to be the ones who are doing all the ministry, actually unlocking what is in them that God has put there, I think is part of our calling. Love that, love that. And I think I think one of the things too, and, and here you go, I mean, we, we just shared before that I I dealt my whole life in... in um, crisis management. So I would receive a call, you know, in Australia, we receive a triple O call, wherever, whatever that number is for you listening globally. And you, we responded to somebody's crisis. In saying that, I am, I am one of the greatest advocates of preventative medicine in the fact of why wait till somebody gets, gets injured, you know, like we should be putting preventative things in place. And it's got to be the same with our spiritual journey. So many people come to us broken, busted up or had bad experience with church or with God or with whatever it might be. And, and, and I think, I know for me, it's because ultimately we haven't put helped them put preventative measures in place. You know, we haven't, right. you know, I'll often say to them, okay, Ephesians 6, when's the last time you really put on your spiritual armour before you've gone and, mm. and battled in these things? So we're really huge. We've created a culture in our church here um, about being preventative in our discipleship, uh, you know, like doing this this stuff proactively rather than reactively all the time because then you're not, you're not dealing with crisis all the time. You're actually meeting people who are just maybe a little bit lower and you can help them out. Oh, totally. Be- being the fence at the top of the cliff instead of the ambulance at the bottom. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, I've been there a few times. Think, yeah, yeah, and I just think that if people can have a rhythm in their life and in this COVID shutdown era that we've been in, it's it, a lot of people's Christianity has has fallen to bits yep. because they haven't had the external stimulus and the external disciplines of church life that would normally be there, like the prayer meeting on Wednesday night or the women's group on, on Tuesday morning or the, you know, whatever, the, and church on Sunday, youth on Friday night. But to go into home and into isolation and where there's only been a small number allowed to gather together, uh, that sense of I need to do this myself uh, has 
has not been strong in some. And so this has been a great opportunity for us all to initiate our own set of disciplines and to create new sets of rhythms in our life of spiritual devotion that will keep us, as you say, the fence at the top of the cliff rather than needing to be fixed up because we took a crash down the bottom of the valley. Yeah, so, so true. And, and I think um, obviously being in the health industry for 21 years, uh, you know, we talk about this spiritual deterioration of a spiritual fatigue that we've seen. Uh, I've, I've seen it particularly, and we've been dealing a lot with those in the healthcare industry, Pastor Phil, and wow. a lot of this is yeah. because, and, and, you know, and I've had some significant chats with some really influential spiritual people in our church who are, who just said that they've been dealing with all of this noise, this white noise coming into them of what is a pandemic and, and the healthcare industry telling them what the problems are. And, and then they're trying to, trying to spiritually feed themselves. And, and so, um, something we noticed this very early on in COVID for us. So we engaged what was, we called the shepherd flow. And that was about just putting uh, key industries and we put our healthcare workers and others in these industries. And that just meant that once a week we would get around and we would have someone from our team call them up and just say, hey, we know you're not in crisis, but we just want to tell you we're lifting you up today. We're praying for you because we know that you're getting all of this white noise coming in about, you know, fake news and all of these things here. And we want to say that, you know, hey, there's good news coming in on the other side as well. Right, we're here for you. Coming back to the doing the journey thing. So somebody comes to Jesus, they receive Christ, and then they start the journey. uh, And you're talking about individuals doing that journey with them. I mean, it, it sounds great. What does it actually mean? Is it ringing them up on Monday after church? Is it ringing them up three times a week? Is it meeting with them, having coffee? Is it only responding to moments when they contact you? Tell us about how that is actually structured in your church. Yeah, so so it's prioritising. So our first, um, we, we don't have Mondays off so because we just we have a lot of volunteers and our, our team are in on a Monday. Our first meeting of, of the week after a Sunday is, you know, you've got busy Sundays, we're running four services. Our first meeting on a Monday morning is what we call our people meeting. And so we'll go through any person who's had some form of life-changing moment, you know, on the altar or anything like this. And then there's seven or eight of the pastors in the room and uh, we will go around and go, okay, who is best person for them? What do they need? Is it, is it a coffee? And individualizing it. And and we're, right. we're, we're a reasonable size church. I mean, you know, we've got 600 yes. odd on a, on, a, on a Sunday coming, so it's a reasonable size church. Yes. But you've got to treat them as individuals. You can't just go with those 25, totally. 25, put up their hand on a Sunday morning, great, let's all send them a postcard and say, well done. You've got to meet, yes. meet them because... One of them might have gone home Sunday night and they're a single mum and the kids yelled at them and, you know, they looked in the bank yes. and there was nothing there and they're going, oh, yes. oh, man, I went from my greatest day to to hurdles in my life. To the worst. Yeah. Mm. So it's got to start. Our first meeting, and we don't miss it, is, is our people meeting and our pastors are in there and, the, and then we just work out what is a plan for that person, for that individual show. Okay. So you get it. You individualise, tailor-make a yep. plan per person. Because like you said at the start, every person is individual. What are the basics that you would try and uh, bring into their life uh, in terms of church, connect group, 
Prayer Bible. Sure. So it's, I guess it's then about understanding him. So if this is, a, if this is someone who has no understanding of church, we do a, a form of next steps with them. So it's, you know, hey, okay. this is when you hear an offering message, this is actually what it is. When you see, you know, this, you know, it's just some of the basics, Christ, the old Christianity explained type thing. So yes. um, I yes. would say, Pastor Phil, out of those 123, uh, I would say probably, I'm going to say 15%. Went directly to that, you know. They were they were had really no idea. okay. Um, we use Alpha, and so a large right. percentage of them would jump on an Alpha course where right. they might be in a group of six or seven of them together. Um, but right. then, then then there may be some who okay they've made these decisions, but actually they're spiritually switched on. So you know, right. we'll try and go okay, maybe they can fit straight into a connect group or something like this. So they're the main three: is a Christianity explained for basics. An alpha for that yeah. a bit more individualized, and then connect group for those who are a bit more spiritually aware. Exactly. So beyond that, then getting people on the team, uh, what do you do to take people from their next step or their uh, alpha position, uh, and you now want them to serve in church and to serve in the community around in Hobart? Create, create. It's Culture, create a culture. Um, so, right. so we, uh, as as all churches probably did. I mean, there was a really interesting data point came out of uh, Australian National University in August, where they said that sixty five point nine percent of people who were volunteering in in activities in February had not come back to volunteering, and that was churches, soccer clubs, you know, that sort of stuff. There, that's a staggering right. amount. That's two. It is. People have not come back. And so you, we just we just met as a team and said, righto, we're no different. What, what, how are we going to create this different? It was creating a culture where people wanted to serve, and right, um, yeah, we've got a really strong. Uh, I think I think some of our data points. We've got about seventy eight percent of our adult attendees are in connection points. Um, so yeah, about eight out of ten of our adult attendees are in connection points. And uh, about seventy percent are serving on some sort of team. That's awesome. I think if uh, if the basics of discipleship are not understood, that I'm a disciple is a person who lays down their life and picks up their cross. That means I I lay down my agenda. I lose my life to be a servant to Christ. I mean, this can be abused by unscrupulous leaders, obviously, but in a good church like yours, yours, like ours, we we can find people uh, are respected and their boundaries understood and uh, to not demand more than what they're willing to give. Uh, And so uh, when people say, yes, I'm here to serve, I'm uh, going to be a disciple, then the, the... possibility or the opportunity for resentment is low because they've said yes. Uh, And I I think to get people to say yes to Christ before we start wanting them to do all sorts of things in in church life or in outreach or in missions is really essential so that they don't walk away thinking, well, God's just a hard taskmaster. He asks me for things I'm not willing to actually do. And and, and I think, Pastor Phil, too, we... we we have a uh, significant member of parliament in our church. Her, her, her way of serving is in the parliament. You know, yes. she's not going to stack up chairs yes. on, on a Sunday after church because right. she's probably doing right. an eighty-hour job and and yeah. doing an incredible job dealing with some of the really tough bills that are being trying to get pushed through. So we sit there and say, yes. you're, "You're serving the Lord in in 
in the parliament at the moment. Right. And so I think as a church we've got to recognise that. I don't need every single person stacking chairs or putting out communion cups. You know, you do right. a far better job where you're doing that in your marketplace there. Exactly. In fact, that applies to pretty much 90% of our church. Huge. Who, who, who are out there. And, I, you know, it's wider. Obviously, it's wider than just politicians too. Uh, the, I mean, we're speaking right now on a computer and, uh, and through telephones and wires and we've got a sound technician here and the soundboard is there. So th- there are people out there making computers, making soundboards. And so uh, when if they can see their work as the call of God on their life and it dignifies every single person in their calling and in their work to know that what they're doing is enhancing the world. It is serving people everywhere. It is serving humanity. And that is what Jesus has told us to do. He didn't just say serve Christians. He said, look, when you go visit a prisoner or when you just give a a person a cup of cold water or if you look after a child well, I mean, you are serving me, he said, in all that you do. And I think that's a really, really important thing to, to get people out of the idea that to serve God means you're going to stand on a stage and preach a message for 30 minutes each week or that you're going to be leading worship or that you're just going to be doing something that's on the stage or in church life. In fact, 99% of people uh, out there are not going to ever be doing that. Uh, And so everybody needs to know that their work is holy, it is separated to God, it is serving Him in the marketplace. Absolutely. It's so true. And and to be honest, Pastor Phil, just their pure attendance, some of these guys who've got high, guys and girls, high profile and high powerful jobs, simply being in church is serving others. You know, when they're standing there on a Sunday and they've put beside their 60-hour week and their hands are raised in worship, man, that serves me as a preacher. You know, yes. them yes. doing that, I, I'm enthused and I, I'm generating, yes. thinking, man, they've just had a really crazy week. I know what their week yeah. has been. You've served me. Yeah. Thank you for just purely being sitting in the third row. Yeah. Was raised. Uh, exactly. I've said that to a lot of our people. They say, look, I come to church every week. I don't know what my value is, what I can really contribute, what I'm doing here. I said, just you being here is an encouragement. And if it is an encouragement to no one else in this entire room, it's an encouragement to me. Absolutely. That you come and you're lifting your hands. You are you are blessing me. You've got no idea just by being here. And the fact that others see you there, it, it inspires them, it helps them. And Huge. You, we don't know the level of encouragement every one of us can actually bring to others just by turning up. Absolutely. So, so true. I love it. Amen. Well, Sean, it's been such a delight to talk to you, our new C3 Operations Manager for or Director for Australia, as I understand it. Tell me what that means. Uh, yeah, so so uh, just helping out um, Australian, all our Australian churches and just helping us put our structures and processes in place and making sure things flow and loving people, loving our pastors, healthy pastors, healthy churches. And so, yeah, really looking forward to... I love having you on the team, Sean, and your beautiful wife, Morella, and your two wonderful daughters. Such a pleasure to have you. Thanks for talking with us this week. And uh, everyone who's listening in, thank you for joining us and jumping on. Hit that subscribe button and uh, we'll turn up in your inbox every week, preferably on Wednesday. We aim for Wednesday. Sometimes it might be Thursday. 
But uh, we are recording these to assist and help people with the best people we know on the particular subject that we're talking about. And uh, But there may be subjects that we haven't addressed that you'd like us to in the future. Why don't you rate us and review us and let us know what you'd like to hear about. And we'll do our very best to actually put together a podcast that addresses that area. Uh, don't forget, we've got uh, a whole number of churches right around the world. Uh, there may be one right near you. So jump on our C3 Global website and check out a church near you. You might like to get along, whether they're online or in person this weekend. And I know you're going to love the experience of a C3 church. God bless you. Look forward to talking soon.